here to just spend some time away from the, the grind of our daily lives and just really come before the Lord. And we're starting a new series called Running on Empty. And we're going to look at Elisha, who was a prophet back when the Israelites had a king and Israel was um, a nation before they went into exile. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like life can just kind of like zap you out where you feel like you have nothing to offer. You feel depleted of your resources. And before we dive into the text, I just want to give you some background on who Elisha is. So Elijah, there's a J with a J and there's a Sha with a S-H. It's very confusing and they're very close together because Elijah was the first prophet before Elisha. And he was a, a, an amazing, great man of God and prophets were used. God would speak to men and women and then they would be the voice of God. And they would tell God's people what to do, what they shouldn't be doing, what God is saying. And Elijah did a lot of miracles and he was lucky enough not to actually die on this earth. He got swept away in a big cloud and went, ascended into heaven. And before he left, he had appointed Elisha to succeed him. And the day that he was going to go to heaven, Elisha asked something very bold. He said, could I receive a double portion of your anointing? When I, when I first read that, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, like, that's kind of greedy. You know, basically saying, can I have more power than what you had when you were on this earth? Similar to when the disciples, John and James, came to uh, Jesus. Actually, they brought their mother as well. Their mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, can my boys be sitting at the right hand of your throne in glory in heaven? And Jesus looks at him and says, you have no idea what you're asking you have no idea what you're asking. Can they undergo the suffering that I'm about to undergo? And so when we ask God, would you anoint us more, we are asking God to do more through us. And that is a heavy call. So here's Elisha, and he receives his double anointing. And I want to share with you one of my favorite Bible verses. So as soon as Elisha gets his double portion, he's trying to figure out, do I have the power that Elijah promised me? And here we read in 2 Kings chapter 2. This was such a great verse, especially when I was working in students. And it says this, Elisha went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys, in some translations say, some teenagers came out of the city and jeered at him. And they were saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And Elisha turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore, 240, two, tore 42 boys apart. I love that verse, especially when I was a youth pastor, bald head. I'm like, just be careful for who you call him, bald head. So this is Elijah. This is the power that he had. And, and I don't say, like, I don't know what that verse really means. Like, did, did, the, did the boys die? I have no idea. And we're not going to talk about that. It was just more of a point to say Elisha was anointed by God, and he had power. But if you have your Bibles or if your phones, I encourage you all to go to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we are going to talk about this widow who's in a very empty feeling, running on empty. 2 Kings chapter 4, and this is what we read starting in verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, 
But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Lord, we just bring this passage to you, Lord, that you would empty our, uh, uh, our thoughts that are just consumed and bogged down with the complexity of this world to open it up to your spirit right now, Jesus. Lord, I believe that there are people in this room right now who are just feeling exhausted. They're feeling depleted. They're feeling like they have nothing to offer. Lord, would we just focus our attention on you, Lord? And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So this story, when I first read it, maybe you're like me. It almost is like you take a small amount and you can multiply it. And I view it like more of an investment yeah, a lot of preachers will preach on this about give, you know, if you give a little bit to the church, watch, you know, how God will bless you. And this is how I would read it. For, for example, I remember when, um, about a year ago, remember when cryptocurrency still is a thing, but it was like really peak. And, and I had a lot of people in my life were telling me, man, you, you have to invest. I mean, you have $100. You could be like a millionaire, right? You just got to like go in for it. And I'm thinking, well, then I must be like naive. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm stupid if I don't go into cryptocurrency. So I remember one night I'm at home and I'm on my phone. And I'm trying to download the app. And for some reason, I could not connect the app to my bank account. I really believe that it was the Holy Spirit intervening with a cyber attack. And I'm thankful for that. And I was up until 2 a.m. And I'm like, I cannot figure this out. So I'm like, oh, man. And, and everyone's like, man, I just invested $1,000. And now, man, I got $15,000. And I'm like, man, I wish I could just give a little and get a lot. And so I went to my buddy. And I'm like, hey, he does really well in the financial world. And I said, hey, I, I, I think I want to invest in crypto. You know, I'm looking at all these stories of these people becoming instant millionaires. And, you know, I would like to be a millionaire. This sounds pretty nice. I have $500. What should I do? And he said, just go and spend it. I'm like, what, what, don't you have like a secret formula? And he's like, Andy, you don't know what you're doing. You're not a crypto guy. Don't even think, like, if you want to do that, just go buy $500 worth of lottery tickets. It's the same. And I'm like, man, you can't take my $500 and make me a millionaire. It's like, that's not how it works. And so when we read this, this is, this is what I want you to avoid. Like, oh, you know, like I'm going to be blessed like a, a millionth times in the way that I feel like I'm going to be prosperous if I just give a little. But I think it's more like this story about when I was in college. I didn't have a car in college. Well, well this year I didn't have a car. So I would borrow my cousin's car. And it was a stick shift. I didn't know how to drive a six shift at the time, so I would bring my friend, my roommate, who was from Indonesia, and in Indonesia, that's all they drive, and I'm like, Ray, would you help me 
you know, I need to get some stuff. We have a car, and let's go. So we were dead broke in college, and we get about a mile away. We get on the on-ramp to 128, and we run out of gas. Empty. And we're on a hill. And Ray is like, you know what? On this exit that we just came from, there was a gas station. Like, okay. It's like, what if we go in reverse, go in the reverse direction on the on-ramp and get gas? And I said, that's a great idea. (laughs) So I turn around, and I'm his eyes. And then we, and it was one of those big on-ramps. It's like a big loop. And I'm thinking, well, what if a car is coming up the right direction? What do we do? And so I'm like, Ray, we could be in trouble. He's like, start praying. So I'm like, dear God, please. And I start praying. And we made it. And we get gas. And the reason why I say that, I think when we are running on empty, I believe as believers and followers of Jesus that we are called to go in reverse. That we are called to do the opposite of what the world tells you to do. And we're going to tease this out because I think so many, when people say, hey, I have nothing to offer, people say, all right, what little you have, store it. Don't use it. Protect it. And what we'll see in this story is that God is saying, no, I want you to pour it out. So if we look at this, when this widow, one, her husband is dead. A godly man. Now, the prophets kind of all lived together. So Elisha probably knew this family well. Maybe it was like a nephew to him. And they're doing all these miracles. But yet, her husband was not miraculously cured of whatever killed him. And yet, she still goes to God. So she still has hope. She's a godly family. It's a godly um, household is what she says. You know, so you know that it's not that they were being disobedient, that they were being obedient. And now she's in a position where the creditors are going to come and take her two sons as slaves. Think about the situation. Think about how desperate she is. This is probably not the first time the creditors have come. They've probably come multiple times. It's like, hey, do you have our money? No, we'll be back. Do you have our money? No, next time we go, we're going to take your sons. And this is the situation. And have you ever thought, maybe you're not in this situation, I'd be surprised if anyone is, but maybe there's certain things that you can relate to where you just feel like you're depleted and you have nothing to offer, and you think, how in the world did I ever get here? How did I get this empty feeling? How did I feel so depleted? John Eldridge, in his book, Resilient, says this, Economic shaking, the fear of death, the loss of a normal life, a completely unpredictable future. This sort of catastrophic upheaval drives us all to the core of human need and dear. Will I be provided for? Will I have enough? Is there abundance for me? When you are living in an hour like this one, any vulnerability to deprivation and desolation becomes a high level of vulnerability, which leads us to a truly beautiful grace God wants to provide. What he's saying is this is an opportunity for us to see God step into our situation. He goes on and he tells a story of a pastor during the midst of the pandemic who was doing a Zoom sermon. And his theme was do not fear. 
Do not fear because the Lord is in control. Do not panic. This was the pastor's message. And in the background of this pastor's living room on the Zoom, you could see that he had stacks and stacks of toilet paper stockpiled. And so here is this man, don't fear. The Lord is in control, but yet I am terrified that I'm going to lose toilet paper and just stock them in the back. So we'll say, hey, you know, God's in control, but do you actually act like it? Our position of emptiness positions us to see God's provisions. Elijah comes, and the first question is this, what can I do for you? If God were to ask you that question, what would be your response? What I think is fascinating in the text that he does not give time for the widow to answer. I believe that if he were, she would say things like, cancel my debt. Just make this situation disappear. I know you have the ability to have some she-bears come and maul these guys as they come. Could you do something like that? Basically, what she's saying is, can you do away with this situation? Right now, the kids are learning about Daniel in the lion's den. And the idea is this, that God doesn't prevent hard things from happening. If you're a parent, you've probably heard this. Pave the way for the child, or do you prepare the child for the way? Now, I believe that we are called to prepare the child for the way. And, but we are taught in a culture that we need to remove every obstacle in our children's life so they would have a smooth life. If they're having a hard time at school, get them into a different school. If they're getting bullied, well, get that bully out of their classroom. And, and I'm not saying those are always the right or wrong thing, but I think the first thing we need to do is prepare our children to live in a broken world. Because this is how God works in our life. That he's never going to not just give us, hey, I'm just going to give you this smooth life. Everything's going to be perfect. I'm just going to be like a trailblazer and plow everything in front of you. You just walk behind me on a very paved road. No, he's like, I want to give you the tools and I want to prepare you for the way. This is what scripture teaches us. And so you see this. Maybe if she said, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe she would have been like, I want you to pave the way. I want you to get rid of all the things that are going on in my life. But we read in Psalm 23, 5, David says this. You, God, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This has been such a close and dear passage to Kate and I because it's this image that in the midst of battles, in the midst of wars, there is time to be with Jesus and there is a delightful meal that we can enjoy, that his presence is in the midst of everything going on. A table. I remember years ago when I was on safari in Africa and we're seeing these lions and elephants, these dangerous animals, and then all the whole time, like, do not get out of your car. Do not get out of your matatu and say, well, what would happen? You will get eaten. This was what was told to us. So I'm like, okay. And then it stops, and he's like, okay, get out. I'm like, what do you mean? Get out. It's like, it's time for breakfast. And on this hill, under this big balboa tree, was this meal. 
And they were making these homemade omelets in a white linen cloth. It's like, and it was overlooking the valley where you could see all the animals. And in the midst of all the danger, in the midst of these animals that could eat you, we enjoyed one of the best meals I've ever had. And I believe this is what God is offering to us. Can we see the joys in the midst of the battles? When we were in the days of the hospital for four years, Kate and I were always so surprised by how much joy we had in the midst of the hardest time of our life. I remember one day, Ellie's like, you know what, I really want crab legs. I'm like, okay. I bought them, $110. <laughs> and we feasted and we laughed while she was receiving chemo. And this is what I believe God wants for us, is to see his goodness, to see his presence in the midst of our enemies. Because if you are waiting for your enemies to be destroyed, you're going to miss the feast God has planned for you now. But he doesn't let her answer, what do you want me to do? He said, well, well, time out. Well, what do you have? I believe this is a question that God is asking us, and it's an absurd question because if she had the resources, she wouldn't be in this situation. What do you have? I told you I don't have anything. I think we are so focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. I believe that this is such a common thing, especially in Americans, that we are so consumed with what we don't have that we forget what God has given us. And it's not, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What can else? Look what they have that I don't have. Look what, what, look what I want that I don't have. And we get so focused on it that it actually puts us in a place where we feel like we are running on empty. And the reality is that we have a pretty full tank in terms of worldly possessions. There's a violinist named Joshua Bell. In 2007, he played in Washington, D.C. subway. He earned $32 for an hour. This guy, the night before, played in Boston to a packed house, $100 a ticket. He was playing on a $3.5 million violin in the subway. And he was playing that night to another sold-out crowd. And the only person that stopped to listen for more than three minutes was a three-year-old boy. And the story is, can you, can you realize, you don't realize what's going on around you because any people in the subway are going in and out, that one of the most talented, one of the greatest violinists ever is right before their eyes playing, and we just can't see it because we're so focused on the next thing. I have nothing to offer. And then she says, well, I, well, I do have a jar of oil. It's not even worth mentioning because it's not going to get her out of this predicament. And Elijah's like, perfect. One thing I love about God is that he works in mysterious and creative ways. He's unpredictable. If you're like me, I'm always trying to predict what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And I'm almost always wrong, to be honest with you. And he's an unpredictable God. He's a mysterious God. But one thing that we can see is God delights to use what we have and give us more. This is what he tends to do. What's available so I can do the improbable? We see this in the feeding of the 5,000. 
You know, there's a whole crowd. There's five, 10,000 people there. The disciples are like, Jesus, we got to send them home. I think the disciples were hangry at this point. And they're like, Jesus, I'm hungry. They're hungry. We got to get something to eat. And Jesus said, well, you feed them. <laughs> and they start laughing. Like, well, we don't have anything. Like, and then Jesus is like, well, what do you have? And they find this boy. He's like, we have some loaves of bread and some fishes. He's like, okay, that'll do. And not only did everybody get their fill, but they went away with 12 baskets for themselves. They overflowed. They got more than they needed. You see in the parable of the talents, Jesus gives a story where he gives, uh, he says there's a guy who gives his three servants some money, five talents to one, three talents to another, one talent to the other. Talents means this is a lot of money. So he's like, one, I'm going to give you a ton of money. And he goes and invests it and he doubles it. The third one, same thing. He goes, he gets one more. And so they do well. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You'd have been trusted with a little. Now I'll give you a lot. And then the other one's like, well, you know, I, I, I buried your talent. I, I was afraid that I would lose it. I didn't know what to do with it, so I stored it. And Jesus has a really harsh remark. He's like, oh, man, I can't believe it. And he talks about you're going to be thrown into gnashing of the teeth. And it's just really, really, like, like brutal stuff. And the point is this, is that God has given us things for us to use, not to store. And when we're feeling like we're running on empty, instead of pouring, we want to start storing. I'm going to store what I have. I'm afraid to lose it. And I'm not just talking about finances. What are the things that you're afraid to pour out? Maybe it's gifts. Maybe it's your time. I asked Kate, what would be the one thing? What's the one thing that's really precious to you? And she said, it's time. I just don't have enough time. I can't do anything other than just survive. And we start to hoard it and store it. We become hoarders and we don't even know it. Maybe it is resources. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe you have the gift of, uh, of, of, uh, of generosity. What is it that you're keeping for yourself? And God, I believe, is asking you to use it. And then Elijah says, okay, before you even see the miracle, I want you to invite others to see it as well. Go to your neighbors and tell them you need to borrow some empty vessels. So just imagine how that conversation would go. They know her story. And so it's like, hey, do you have any empty vessels? Well, why? Well, because we're going to uh, pour it with oil. You don't have any money, ma'am. Your sons are going to be taken away soon. You are crazy. And what they're doing is they're inviting the community into their God story. This is what I love about Fireside, is that we want to be a very relational church where we are inviting everyone else into our story of what God is doing in our life. I want to include you. And again, this isn't in retrospect, talking on the neighbor, you wouldn't believe what happened, all right? I'm going to give you a long story, and, and Elijah came, and look at all the oils. No, 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 it's like before it happened, hey, I want you to come. This man, Elijah, they knew who Elijah was. He's told us to get empty vessels because he's going to fill them. Okay, here you go. And they involve him. And they trusted. Now, what do you have? What is in your life right now that you are holding on to that if God were to say, I need you to pour it out, that you would be terrified? Time, money, resources, talents, gifts. What is that thing in your life that you're saying, if God were to ask me to pour it out, Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's a fear of yours. 
Maybe it's something that you find to be your comfort zone. What is it in your life? And I I just want us to take time to think about that because I just want to challenge us to say maybe God is asking us to pour it out. And you can only get more until you pour. And in Psalm 23, the, what we read earlier, you prepare a table before me in my presence of my enemies. Then David says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. See, God's desire is not just to fill your cup, but to overflow it. He says this in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. In Proverbs 11, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. As the band comes up, I just want to close with this challenge to us. That I think when we see Elijah, we come to God and we want God to say this. What is it that you want and what do you have? This is much of our prayer life. God, this is what I want. And and we have our list, right? I want health. I want decisions to be made. I want financial resources to be better. I want relationships to be mended. And the list goes on and on and on. But here's what I hope that this is what I mean by we are supposed to go into reverse and think differently. That my hope is that when you come before the Lord and you're feeling empty, when you're feeling depleted, when you feel like you have nothing, would you ask God this? God, what is it that you want? And God, here's what I have. This is my hope for us as a church. Instead of saying, God, this is what I want. Could you give me more? Could we say, God, what is it that you want from me? What do you want me to pour out, Lord? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? God, I give it all to you. This is what I have. I give it to you. And if we could be a church that would pour out the gifts and the talents the resources that God has given us, I believe that we will be overflowing in ways that you can't even imagine. And this is a church that I, I, I'm challenging us to be. This is how my prayer life has changed because I would come to God with a, with a want list and I'd say, God, what is it that you want? And here's, God, what I have. And I know you can take a little and make it a lot. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. He just wants our obedience. He wants to grow what he's already given us to steward. So Lord, we come and God, right now with our heads bowed, Lord, we are in your presence, Jesus. Would you just right now just place it on our heart? What is it that you want us to pour out? Lord, would you reveal that in our hearts right now? What is it that you want us to pour out? The thing that we're holding on to, the thing that we're fearful of, the thing that we're feeling, we have nothing to offer, Lord, but we do have this. 
what, what do we want to give you, Jesus? And Lord, would we just trust you? Lord, many of us are feeling empty and depleted. And God, I do believe that David is true, Lord, that when we trust in you, when we are obedient to you, when we live for you, when we give you what you've given us, our cups will be full and overflowing, Lord. Lord, I want to be that guy where people says, I don't know what it is that he has, but I want that because whatever he has is overflowing from his life. And so, Jesus, we come before you and say, Lord, what is it that you want? What is it that you want me to do, pour out? And Jesus, here, I'm going to give you what I have. My talents, my gifts, my resources. I just, I, Lord, I, I just believe, Lord, that in order to be full, in order to stop having this empty, depleted feeling, Lord, I, I, I know 